Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Matt Filippovitz. Matt, what's going on? Bill, I got a meatloaf in the oven that I'm making that I'm very excited about, and I am ready to talk about one of the worst uh, bowl games of bowl season, uh, which, of course, is the Penn State-Arkansas game. Do, so do, I do have you, been better, but I am excited about the meatloaf. Do you have any, like, meatloaf special tips, tricks, anything like that, or do you? is it a pretty standard meatloaf? It's pretty standard. I ha- I got myself a Ninja Foodie uh, for Christmas mm. that I was going to make it in, but you need like a specialty meatloaf pan from them, which I wish I realized before I put all the ingredients in a bowl. Uh, so then I just got out my meatloaf pan and I'm making it the old fashioned way as opposed to in my in my little air fryer thing. So kind of bummed about that, but this should be a good recipe. Yeah, well, <clears throat> uh, follow, follow Matt on Twitter. He'll, uh, <clears throat> no, excuse me, he'll keep you all updated on how that goes. But uh, in the meantime, uh, like Matt mentioned, really, really not fun football game uh, to wrap up Penn State season. The Nittany Lions played the 21st-ranked Arkansas Razorbacks in the Outback Bowl, um, but lost 24-10. to 10. The, the 10 came on a busted uh, coverage where Keandre Lambert-Smith could not have been more wide open in the end zone, and Jake Pinniger... Uh, arose like the Phoenix to make a field goal. Uh, and that's it. Like that, that, that's, that's how Penn state's offense scored points uh, with a month of preparation and everyone other than Jahan Dotson playing in this football game uh, for all intents and purposes. Uh, Arkansas. Meanwhile, at a certain point, they realized to just run the football patchwork Penn state defense. They exploited that. Um, Matt, I want to talk about this game, obviously. But before we talk about this game, something that I think is important is to establish a baseline of what we thought about this game going into it. I did a preview pod with our pal Matt Brown of The Athletic. You uh, weren't able to hop on. That's fine. But I think it's very important to establish that you and me, maybe this is going to be different from some of our listeners. We weren't going into this game with the belief that Penn State has to win it, show out all those sorts of things that we might have for a game against Ohio State, against Michigan, against Wisconsin, against any of those teams. What was your approach to this game going in? What did you want to see out of Penn State? What was the most important stuff that Penn State could do? And what was the stuff that Penn State could do that got you in the sour-ish mood uh, that you and I are both in when we look at this game and try and talk about it? Yeah, so first things first, my my thought process around bowl games really changes if you're not in a New Year's Six one, because then I think it can very quickly and, and should become your pre-spring ball practices because everybody opts out nowadays in my opinion rightfully so go get paid if you're an elite athlete but then the guys who went with you for the most part are guys who are going to be sticking around in 2022 so let's prep for that give meaningful practice reps to guys who can be big contributors and let's see how they go out there and play against guys who are not on the scout team So I'm excited with what we saw in that regard. I like that a lot of young guys got some good run. I like that on both sides of the ball, especially defense, some guys really stepped up. So that was very exciting. I don't think it's necessarily a need to win to salvage the season because 
you know, seven or eight and six or whatever, eight and five is no better than like seven and six at that point. It's exhibition football mm-hmm. that's made to make Outback Steakhouse money and to put people in Bloom and Onion costumes. So there's that whole aspect of how you want to look at it. Obviously, you still want to win because winning is always fun. But overall, the only thing Penn State could do that would make me mad in this game was be boring because I think that's the cardinal sin of college football. Like, I, I view it as this is a TV show. Let's make it fun. Penn State was not fun. They were boring. The offense was bland. Nothing really got accomplished. So I don't know how a lot of, like, you know, regular non-psychotic fans view it. I thought it was entertaining only because of young guys. But overall, when I watched, like, the offense especially, I was just thinking this just isn't what I want to see out of a college football team at this point. So that's really why I'm so disappointed with how things turned out. Not even that they lost, it's that it was just so incredibly unexciting. I, I'm i inclined to agree with that. I mean, I think that I viewed it very similar. I wanted this to be an opportunity for guys to go out, for guys to play some good football, get some learning experience. As we talked about this game, something I think a lot of people might notice is I'm not going to have too many negative things to say about the defense. The defense will have 451 total yards, 24 points, uh, 25 first downs. Arkansas ran the ball for 353 yards, 6.1 yards per rush. And despite that, I'm not going to say too terribly much about the defense other than I think this is a good learning opportunity for a lot of those guys. I think it was really encouraging seeing some of the guys perform the way they performed. Curtis Jacobs had a really good game. Nick Tarburton had a really good game. Jair Brown had a really good game. Those are going to be the three, unless P.J. Mustard comes back, the three main guys at every level of Penn State's defense. They had good games, and then behind them, a bunch of younger dudes, uh, you know, the Zariah Fishers, the Jordan Vandenbergs, the Smith Vilberts. The Charlie Catchers and Tyler Elsons got run out there, and I'm glad that happened. So defense, whatever. I think the defense generally approached this game the way I wanted to approach this. My issue, yeah, but was, about as good as you can ask for, especially right. when, you know. Can, granted, Arkansas, uh, I don't know what they did for the entire first half, but once they figured out what they could do, uh, it didn't look as fun. But it's good to know that. In all likelihood, that that let's run the ball 50 times is not a viable option against this defense going forward. Um, so overall, I agree with you that I do like what we saw. And I think that this whole rush the ball 70 times thing against Penn State is done after this game. On offense, my one issue, my, my biggest issue coming into this game, or my the, the biggest thing that interested me coming into this game, let me rephrase that. This was... <clears throat> Other than the Wisconsin game, the healthiest that Penn State's offense has been all season and the most time Penn State's offense had to prepare this season. Outside of Jahan Dotson not playing in this football game, basically every meaningful player on Penn State's offense played in it. We even got to see some guys who didn't really get a chance to play meaningful snaps but are going to play next year. Uh, Olu Fushanu and Landon Tangwa on the left side of the offensive line are the primary ones I'm talking about here. Get some run. So theoretically, Penn State should have come out in this game as prepared, as under healthy, as looking as crisp and sharp as possible. And the offense laid an egg. Let's call a spade a spade here. Penn State's offense scored 10 points 
had 323 total yards. I guess it's a decent defense. I'm not taking that away from Arkansas. I, I think the way that they play defense, that 3-3-5 look, uh, you know, we saw them in the Villanova game. It gave Penn State some problems there. We saw it here. gave Penn State some problems here. Uh, but Penn State's offense had opportunities to do stuff. And between decisions by the coaches, execution by the players, and just other stuff, they did not. They were not good enough. And we will get into that stuff in a bit. I thought that, you know, if Penn State loses this game 24-20, tack another 10 points on there, you know, even if the yardage, 200 yards passing, about 125 version, whatever, if they just have a few more points and this game is a little bit closer, I feel a bit different. But it's the listlessness. The fact that this felt like watching a John Donovan offense, that has me so bummed out. And we'll get into that stuff in a second. But before we get into that, I want to try and talk about some stuff that we were happy with uh, in this game, Matt. Because I think we're going to spend a lot more time talking about the stuff we were unhappy with. So offense, defense, special teams, uh, whatever it might be. What thing or things were you happiest with with this Penn State team and how it performed on Saturday? Parker Washington is a absolute stud, man. I he I keep on forgetting he's like 19 years old. He's a true sophomore, man. He is so good. I really hope they can get him some good help surrounding. I think they have some good options, especially with Tinsley I, I, coming I, I'd, in. I'd, uh, I'd like it if they could just get him the football. Right, right. But I'm, I think about what Jahan did this year when he had a great complimentary piece in Washington. Like if Washington can get others, I think Washington can perform at a similar level. I'm not going to ask anybody to live up to Jahan's hype because Jahan may just be a top three receiver in program history. He's, he's that good for me. Uh, so I like what I saw there. I liked what I saw out of Olufashanu and out, out of Landon Tangwall. I think those guys are upgrades over what we had going forward. And, and Rasheed Walker declared for the draft earlier today. So good for him. I think change is good, uh, especially after the season that we just saw from this offensive line. So excited about them going forward. The young guys on the defense, Jordan Vandenberg, man, he not he doesn't quit. That's a motor that really is Rob Windsor-esque, in my opinion, in the sense that he will play until he throws up. Uh, so that was cool to see. And and all those guys, Smith, Vilbert, it's good to see that light bulb go off for him. So it's good to see a youth movement come in. I think the last time we saw Penn State have a really special season was a season of youth movement. So I'm really excited to see if that carries over. Uh, outside of that, yeah, Curtis Jacobs looks like he's a star. I think he can be better than Brandon Smith uh, ended up turning out to be throughout his Penn State career. So a lot to be excited about. But the issue is all of those guys I named play complementary positions because I know we're about to go into the bad stuff, but the bad stuff, uh, a lot of it falls on on number 14. So uh, a lot to be excited about, but there's still so many questions that are going to loom for the next nine months. Yeah, I mean, starting on the offensive side of the football, like I, I think we saw good games out of the skill, out of a lot of the skill position guys. We'll say that Penn State's running backs, you know, they didn't have uh, the most to do. Um, I think we could uh, safely put it that way. But between Kayvon Lee, between Noah Kane, between Devin Ford, uh, they combined to have 10 carries for 67 yards, 6.7 yards per carry. Um, 
they had a little bit of room to do stuff, which they haven't always done. And we saw some flashes of a rushing offense. Uh, we saw them look pretty pretty nice in the passing game. Noah Kane and Kayvon Lee were the only guys who caught passes. They combined to catch three balls for 27 yards. That's nine yards per catch. Again, a nice game out of them. Penn State's receivers, a um, bit of an asterisk on that because only two receivers caught passes. Parker Washington, Keandre Lambert-Smith both had nice enough games. And I think that if I have optimism about Penn State's offense next season, which I'm not going to lie, a little bleak right now, it stems from the fact that Parker Washington, Keandre Lambert-Smith, Mitchell Tinsley is a really good top-line wide receiver trio. And then you have some interesting guys behind them. Malik Mega is going to have an offseason. Lauren Harrison Wallace, Liam Clifford, young dudes they have coming in in this recruiting class, that sort of thing. Running backs, we started seeing flashes. And I'm going to keep saying started seeing flashes because I think – there was some malpractice in how the running game was treated in this game, but we saw them look decent. We saw them look okay. We saw an offensive line that gave them a little bit of room to do some stuff. And that makes me happy that like you give this outside of the fact that uh, we learned today, Rashid Walker is going to be leaving. This is the running game and Nick Singleton and uh, Katron Allen are going to be coming in. This is the running game with Penn State's going to have next season. And if they can get to that point where, I don't think they're going to run for 6.7 yards per carry as a running back room next year because that's kind of crazy. But if they can get to a point where they're running for about five, five and a half yards per carry, changes the entire complexion of this offense and the offensive line, like you mentioned. Nice game for some of the guys. Some of the guys said uh, moments they're going to want to forget. We'll get to that stuff in a bit. And on the defensive side of the football, they gave guys opportunities and guys pretty largely uh, responded to it. A guy that neither of us have mentioned yet, Smith Vilbert, three sacks, three tackles for loss. That is a very important thing for this Penn State defense because this Penn State defense needs to create more havoc plays. You have guys like Curtis Jacobs, uh, like Jaya Brown, who make those kind of havoc plays, but Penn State's pass rush wasn't particularly uh, terrifying this year. They had they had guys like Jesse Lukita. And Charlie Catcher, who I think are more big and physical ends, they have options of defensive tackle. Again, I don't think they're going to just explode off the line of scrimmage and take dudes down. But you look at these guys, you look at who's going to be coming in. The nuts and bolts of a decent defensive line and a defensive secondary are here. Linebacker, I'm just putting a big old asterisk on this game because two of the guys who are going to play the most uh, asked to sit out this game in K- uh, Kobe King, Jamari Budden saying they want to preserve the red shirts. Uh, you know, I, I do want to ask you about that, Matt. What did you think about that? Are, are you a fan of the fact that they asked that and James Franklin uh, honored it? Because our, uh, you know, the fine folks over at the 24-7 podcast, it seemed like uh, Tyler and Sean had a bit of back and forth on this that I actually found interesting because I didn't consider Tyler's perspective of you're basically letting true freshmen opt out of the game. But what, what, did, uh, what did you think about that? Uh, listen, if you want a red shirt, I really don't know how many guys stick around for five years, but if you think that's an option for you, that's worth it for an exhibition game. Uh, I really like that younger guys who maybe could get passed up by Kobe King and Jamari Button next year got their opportunity to run out there. But again, I'd keep a year over a meaningless bowl game for a seven and five team any day of the week. So, you know, I, I don't agree that it's like we don't want to play because 
clearly they want to play a whole extra year for potentially for free. So I really don't mind that. And I, and I think that Kobe King can push for the middle, for the mic job next year. Jamari Budden's probably a special team right next year, just by nature of who they have. So long-term it's better for the program and, you know, short term, I don't think Kobe King or Jamari Button are winning you this game. So it all kind of works out in the end. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm basically there. My general thought is that I think that those guys know where they are in their development as football players better than anyone else. And I, like, I'm fine with them saying, Coach, we want to have the option to give an extra year to this program, we want to have the option to get ourselves to a place physically, mentally, whatever it is, where we're going to give this program the best opportunity to succeed. And we think that having a red shirt this year, you know, we took advantage of the 15 practices that we have here. We don't, we don't think the value of playing against Arkansas eclipses the value of potentially being able to be here in you know, 2026 or whatever uh, whatever season that would be. So like, I actually kind of like that. Uh, I, 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 and I really appreciate that James Franklin said, listen, I'm, I'm going to trust you guys on this one. As long as no one gets hurt, we are going to respect your wishes. But if someone gets hurt and we need you, you know, we're going to rely on you. So I, I, I was fine with that. Um, but yeah, like, I just think this defense in general really battled. They put forth an effort against a very solid offense that basically does stuff in their running game that is designed to exploit a defense that is down to basically it's second and third string guys all across the defensive line for all intents and purposes, two backups slash third stringers in the linebacking core and is down the best safety or best or second best safety in the country. Uh, you know, they lost a cornerback heading into the game of Tariq Castro fields, all that stuff. So like good. I want to give it to them. Good to see Jake Pinnegar. Uh, his first kick was um, not good. Hilarious. Uh, yeah. I mean, he, I, I will say this, the thing that led to that kick being a 50 yard field goal instead of a 35 yard field goal is a problem. Uh, but we will uh, talk about that shortly in a second. Let's go to the bad stuff. Uh, before we get to the obvious bad thing, things, uh, Matt, were there any bad thing or things on the defense with the special teams that you want to, that you want to mention other than like, you know, if you want to talk about the fake punt here, you can talk about the fake punt here. I don't care. I'm not going to talk about the fake punt because bowl games are fun and that was incredibly fun. And no matter how stupid it was, what, what, we're going to try what about, what about, it, shoot your shot. What about what you thought James Franklin said after it, where he more or less said, like, if we didn't get the look we wanted, we were hoping for an interception or a pass interference. Look, I don't hate that as a decision. Like, I think it was the Auburn game where Penn State was like third and eight inside their own 20 with the clock winding down. And they threw a fade to Dotson and got the P.I. call. And I think that's an incredibly dumb decision. But if you get the P.I. call, and I, I'm assuming that's what the plan was, was to get them to commit P.I. against your big play threat. That works. I don't know how I feel about it with your punter. Uh, it just feels kind of kind of bizarre. But it, it's uh, weird. Joe, but Joe Lorig is also no longer Penn State special teams coach as of about two hours ago. He's going he's going to Oregon now. So it's you know, weird they didn't that, have. It's weird they didn't have something built into that where you know if they didn't have that look, Stout just kicks it like that. That was a little bit 
odd to me. And then I, I didn't love, I think it's possible. I'm not saying this is what happened because I have no idea what happened. I think it's possible that Franklin, the way that quote came out, made it seem like that was the thing Penn State was looking for above all else. They were looking to get bailed out. And I don't like, I just can't fathom that was what he was trying, like he was trying to say that explicitly. We ran that play with the hopes that the defense messed up. Like I have to assume just because like, my brain cannot fathom this not being the, the opposite of this being the case. And that was what they were trying to do. I have to assume the thought was you have, you try to throw it, you try to run it. You can't do any of that stuff. Just pray it. When his quote came out and it basically sounded like he was saying, all right, we're going to run this play. Uh, and it's basically, we're going to pray and hope something good happens. So what, whatever, I mean, I I'm generally with you though. Like, this is Jordan Stout's last game at Penn State. If they have had that in the playbook, uh, the play where Jordan Stout just hucks the football 45 yards and we see what happens, I'm like, I'm glad they got to run it because I have to assume Jordan Stout has wanted to run that uh, for quite a while. And uh, yeah, it worked out horribly. But uh, speaking of worked out horribly, uh, any bad stuff in the defense before we move, or stuff on the defense you did not like? Uh, no, it's really okay. all you can ask for from, you know, freshmen, sophomores and redshirt sophomores. So yeah, good for it, them. It, Reps are fun. I, I would have loved to see this game if it was against an offense that was a little bit more balanced, because I think the fact that Arkansas's offense is just built to grind you to dust when this is an inexperienced and shorthanded defense, like it was just two perfect things coming together for Arkansas's offense and they were able to take advantage of that. Like I, you know, I would, I, I hope that this is a good learning experience for guys. If it's not, I think if it's not, I think we might end up looking back on this game a little bit differently, uh, but neither here nor there. Um, let's get to the bad stuff on offense because to me, Matt, we're entering an off season where things should not feel this dire, should not feel this bleak, should not feel like there is a chance that Penn State next season is a 7-6 and six team again because it has a sixth-year quarterback and because of its well-traveled and pretty highly regarded offensive coordinator instead of succeeding because of those two things. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's the thing that's going to hold them back. I think that's going to be the thing that keeps them in a certain place. The offensive line is going to be the thing that holds them back. They need to figure out what they're going to do there because it's been a mess all year. And I have no idea how this has gotten this bad uh, and how it didn't improve literally at all with a month off. Um, I don't know how we're going to get into this, so I'm just going to say it. Sean Clifford cannot be Penn State starting quarterback against Purdue in 2022. I, I understand you want to make sure that Aller is ready. I know I'm putting a lot of stock into a five-star freshman who is not on campus yet. I don't care. He, You, you sign five stars to win you games. Five stars have to be ready. Bo Nix was ready against Oregon. I know his career didn't pan out, but these high-level guys are ready from day one, and what you do from there is up to coaching, but these dudes come in knowing how to play football, and I feel like that's the biggest jump. So if Aller comes in and has things down, 
he can go in there and win against Purdue and maybe help you navigate whatever stretch you have in 2022 going forward. But Clifford is not any better than he was when he went out there against Idaho in his first career start two years ago. He's just not. He is what he is at this point, and I wish him the best. You know, Him coming back, maybe it's as a glorified student assistant and he gets some good reps, but it's a boring offense with him around. He makes these ridiculous throws. It just doesn't look like a 23-year-old is playing college football. It looks like a 17-year-old is playing college football. So I think it might be time to make that change, and I hope that this is the last I have to talk about this before we head into a long offseason where this is all anybody's going to want to talk about. So, so what I'll say on the offensive line is I, I don't necessarily disagree with you. Uh, I thought, you know, I went back and I watched a little bit. I didn't get a chance to look too closely. I thought that uh, Olu Fashanu, I thought Landon Tangwall did some nice things. I think that Juice Scruggs, we know, is a, you know, nice option. I think that so many of the issues with this offensive line stemmed from the fact that from the middle and out, it just like was not a strong, cohesive, well-drilled unit. Like there were just so many miscommunication issues and you saw it during the game. There were so many times when guys just got pushed around or guys didn't know exactly who was blocking you. There was one moment that, so you might, you, you definitely as a Penn State fan base, remember the one speed option they ran where Sean Clifford, you know, runs uh, off the right side of the line, gets split up by an Arkansas linebacker. I'm not mentioning that. There was another speed option. They ran in the third quarter. And the entire idea of a speed option is there is one guy who is in conflict and has to decide, am I going with the quarterback or the running back? And the quarterback makes a decision on that. In order to do that, you need to have everyone else blocked. And on that speed option, three guys tackled Sean Clifford while that guy in conflict was just standing there making sure Kayvon Lee didn't get the football. And that is the kind of stuff that is just unacceptable. Um, I'm, you know, I'm concerned about the play call from the beginning. Uh, I, 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 you know, we'll have some Mike your thoughts that we'll get into a little bit later in this podcast. Um, but when you can't execute something, it, it's an old Kevin Wilson uh, line. Don't call what you can't block and they can't block that. Um, I think this is a good, like, this is a big offseason for everyone on that offensive line. I think that uh, we have enough sample size to say there needs to be just straight up competition every single place on that field. But for me, the problem was Sean Clifford. Uh, Sean Clifford and the way this game was called. I'm going to say both of those things because the fact that they kept that Kayvon Lee, Noah Kane had nice games and yet they didn't really have much of a chance to build on those is a really big problem. But Sean Clifford, the mistakes that he made in this game, the intentional grounding or that uh, ended up getting uh, declined, I believe, uh, that led to Jake Pinniger having to kick a 50-yard field goal. He can't make that mistake. The interception, first one, he's rolling out to his right. He has Brenton Strange. There is nobody behind Brenton Strange. And it's a tricky throw. I know it's on the run 
he is moving to his right, so it's not as difficult. He underthrows him. Uh, defensive back just goes up and takes it. Second pick, he does a little move to shake a dude. Has Brenton Strange in the corner, uh, Theo Johnson corner of the end zone. Nobody, nobody's behind him because the only thing behind him is the pylon. But in front of him are two different dudes. And if Sean Clifford is missing on that throw, he needs to miss high because he is giving his tight end a chance to go up and get it. And he just throws it right to the dude. And Sean Clifford cannot do that. He knows he cannot do that. Every single person knows he cannot do that. And, you know, there were a few other mistakes. I believe there was a basically just a wide open, uh, there, there was a coverage bust, I believe. And I think it was Keandre Lambert-Smith he tried throwing to, he just completely missed him. Like, it, there were other, th- like that Parker Washington great catch where he went up with one hand and reeled it in. That was only a great catch because it was a terrible throw. And it's a lot of stuff like that with Sean Clifford that, Matt, I'm not saying he has to be flawless, but I'm saying the mistakes that he makes have to be mistakes that are understandable for a guy who is in his third year as a starting quarterback in the collegiate level, who is far enough down the road this season that he should have a total grasp of this offense. And he is just making mistakes. You know, I'm not going to... Well, I'll give my thoughts on the quarterback situation next year in a second, but that it's unacceptable. It's mistakes that he cannot make at this point in his Penn State career. Yeah, he's playing. He's playing like a freshman, and as a fifth-year senior, who's going to be a sixth-year senior, to watch him play the exact same way this entire time. And look, I know 2019 was a great season, and and I'm a firm believer in you know giving guys benefit of the doubt. And you know, with how weird 2020 is, and with how weird 2021 was, and his injuries, like. I, I very he very much could be, you know, that guy again, but it's starting to look like 2019 may have been the exception as opposed to the actual, um, you know, trajectory of Sean Clifford. So it's a bummer. I, I never want to see it not work out for a guy, but I've always said I think change is remarkably healthy for a college football program and a four year starter who who doesn't exactly show anything that he's getting better isn't the healthiest thing for Penn State if it wants to get back to where the program should be. So I, I, I've already yeah. planted my flag in the Aller camp. Um, I'm watching the Chicago Bears currently go through a very similar thing where they have somebody young and exciting. Uh, and instead, they're going with Andy Dalton or Nick Foles certain weeks. And again, that commits the, the cardinal sin of football is that it's very boring. So I hope that I know it's different levels of football, but that's kind of the vibe I get going into 2022 and that. They have the young, exciting guy, but they're going to shelter him, and I don't know if that's the best thing. So we'll have to uh, we'll have to wait and see how these next very long and very frustrating nine months are going to go. Yeah, and I you know I mentioned it, but I also think we need to talk about Mike Yurcich here. I mean that he had a very bad game as a well, it, it's weird because you can have elements of a bad game, like the fact that the offense gained. 323 total yards is not necessarily on him because again, there were mistakes in execution when guys are open, when this happened, when that, that sort of thing. So it's not all on him, but there is stuff that is on him. They, it, it was a point that I might've mentioned it to you during the game. I think I mentioned it to somebody during the game. And then again, the 24 seven guys mentioned this, but like they put together a trace McSorley game plan for Sean Clifford. And they basically said, all right, Sean, this is your game. Go out there and win it. They didn't rely on their running backs at all, even though their running backs were able to get a little something going. They did the usual thing where they rotate their running backs, which is turning into a big pet peeve of mine. 
they were basically giving Clifford the keys to the to to do things in this offense. They weren't utilizing all of the talent that I think that they have all over the field. Like it was just a bit of a discombobulated mess against an Arkansas defense that again is a solid group, but is a group that you should not have looked this listless against. And that listlessness, uh, especially when you consider the fact that last year's offense could move the ball, last year's offense could score, and it was determined that wasn't good enough, and now this is what Penn State's offense has turned into, uh, a middle-of-the-road offense in terms of total offense, a middle-of-the-road offense in terms of total and scoring offense, an upper echelon offense in the Big Ten in terms of passing offense, but nowhere near uh, Ohio State and Purdue, the teams to do that the best. And then the only worst passing uh, rushing offense was Purdue. It's stuff that makes you have serious questions. And again, with the amount of time that they had, Matt, to prepare for this football game, that's just something that I can't wrap my head around. This I don't know what Franklin's fingerprints look like on this offense. This does not look like the Mike Yurcich offense I saw when he was at Oklahoma State, when he was the passing game coordinator at Ohio State, and when he was at Texas. I don't know if Franklin is more involved. I think Franklin has always had his finger on the scale a bit more since Moorhead left, just because, you know, Ronnie was a younger guy. Sharaka came in at a time where they couldn't really rep it, so I'm sure he wanted to keep continuity. And Yurisic came in after a down year where Franklin probably felt like, I have to get things back, and I think I can right the ship. So I want to see Franklin take a step back. I think that is just a smart move, considering how good of an offensive coordinator I think Mike Yurisic is. But this just did not look like what I expected or what I saw from watching a Mike Yersich offense prior. Like, I don't know what exactly he thinks he can run. Again, I'm very anti-balance for balance's sake. Like, if you can't, that Kevin Wilson quote's great, don't run it if you can't block it. Penn State ran things they can't block and things they couldn't block for an entire season. And the fact that those haven't been thrown out the window yet is very concerning. Like, I get you want to keep running backs happy. Like, you want to keep them on the roster. You want to keep them sticking around. But nobody's happy if you're running into a wall every third play. So I think that was just a very big mistake for a lot of that. So Yersich deserves a lot of blame, but I don't think this is exactly on him because I think Franklin is, is in that room more than he should be at this point. And Franklin makes a lot of money to, and he's a good coach and I'm just a guy who, who blogs. So, you know, take what I say with a grain of salt, but this just does not look like the offense that set all kinds of records and, and looked explosive every single place he went. Yeah. I, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a weird thing. We don't, we don't know for sure what Franklin's, uh, role is in the offense. So I do think that is important, but I do think that it's going like people are going to ask questions when they, when Franklin has been the one constant with Penn state's offense over the years, good, bad, and otherwise, and you know, it's been a total overhaul of coaches, that sort of thing. So, and then you have like stuff like him coming out after games, talking about need to get the running game going and the running game. Like it just, it was a weird year for Penn state's offense. And I hope they get a chance to pop the hood on this thing after the season. Uh, Biggest takeaways from this game, Uh, starting on the defensive side of the football, Matt, what is your biggest takeaway? It could be good. It could be bad, whatever it is. 
Uh, Penn State secondary will be better in 2022 than it will be in 2021. Jair Brown is great. Um, Keaton Ellis and Jalen Reed can develop pretty well, I think. Uh, and I like what they have at corner. Uh, the defensive line is going to be fine next year. John Scott Jr., man, he can coach. I know there were con some concerns, but man, can that dude coach. Like, he has developed these young guys at such a quick pace. Like, Vandenberg just got to campus in August, and he's already out there making an impact against a team that's trying to run you into the dirt, man. So good, good on him. Uh, something to be excited about. And any change along the offensive line is good change, in my opinion, at this point. So those are probably my biggest takeaways. Yeah, I mean, my biggest takeaway in the defensive side of the football is that they are going to have guys who are willing to go out there and fight and compete. And I think that's really important. Like, I think that we, I think that they should probably look at linebacker in the portal, uh, which isn't to say that I think that the guys they have are like really incredibly bad or anything like that. It's just, you look at this linebacker room and what we have when we look at it is basically the three or four guys who ended up playing for Penn state, which, Good for them. Good for Tyler Eldsden, Jonathan Sutherland. Jesse Lukita is going to be moving on, so take him out of here. Charlie Catcher, those sorts of dudes. You're going to have the two dudes who we mentioned are going to uh, play, but redshirted in Kobe King and Jamari Budden. Uh, and then when it comes to linebackers in this recruiting class, there's Abdul Carter, there's Keon Wiley, and that's basically it. So I do want them to go portal shopping and see if there's anything at linebacker that they can add. But the defensive line is a bunch of guys who – are really good competitors. Um, when you look at what Penn State had in this game and then consider they will be adding a design, will be adding Hakeem Beeman, maybe P.J. Mustafer comes back. I, like, I'm optimistic about what the defensive line could end up doing next year, especially with uh, Manny Diaz wanting them to be more aggressive and then that secondary. I, you know, I just think Jair Brown's a dude. And I think they have I, – I don't think we really got to see too terribly much out of the cornerbacks for obvious reasons, but neither here nor there. Uh, offense – Biggest takeaways from the game. I have two, um, and they're both from the game and for the entire season, but I'm interested if you have a biggest takeaway that we did not mention. Offensively? Yeah. Um, I mean, the biggest takeaway is that, again, Sean Clifford cannot be the guy in 2022. Uh, that just has to be has to be where the entire focus in the offseason goes to. It's making sure Clifford is in as good a spot as he can be, but understanding that Al Irveu and Prabula have to be ready to go out there on day one because this has to be, I don't know how many wide open competitions there are with a potential four-year starter back, but this has to be the most wide, like I'm talking everybody gets first team reps throughout spring ball. Like this has to be the most open competition We've seen it any at any position since Franklin's been at Penn State. I I agree. Well, I, I agree to this end. If Sean – I think everyone needs to get a fair shot to win the starting quarterback job. And I generally think they will give that. Like, I just – like, I think that even though it's kind – it can be hard to imagine this. Like, I think James Franklin understands the importance of, like, having the guy who puts you in the best position to win football games at quarterback. And if it's Sean Clifford – you know, good on him if it's Drew Aller, good on him. But I think you need to be able to make that decision off of as informed of a sample size as you can possibly get and then go for it. Again, I don't have a – like, I understand why people would have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with Sean Clifford starting against Purdue if he's the best guy. But that is a big if. 
And that is an if that needs to be determined through an honest competition. So uh, putting that out there, that's from this game and that's from the season as a whole. From this, the th- big takeaway from this game is I think they need, just as a general thing, to stop getting so cute with how they handle their running backs. And what I mean by that is if you want to actually strike balance in your running back room, the best way for my money for you to do that is to pick a guy and let him go and work with him and have him be the guy and deal with the fact that there might be some grumbling on the sideline. There might be some guys who are upset. Like you look at the rushing numbers this season, Kayvon, we 108 carries 530 yards, 4.9 yards per carry. Noah Kane, 106, 350, 3.3. John Lovett, 52, 177, and 3.4. And then Clifford's in there with 99 carries as well. When you look at the numbers, what that says to me is there were a few too many mouths to feed. And I think we saw in how this game plan worked out, four carries from Kayvon Wee, five for Noah Kane. There were just too many. They thought there were too many mouths to feed. I think moving forward, they need, you know, James Franklin talks a lot about someone grabbing, taking control of this right, making it theirs, that sort of thing, establishing balance of the running game. You have to give the kids an opportunity to do that. And if a kid starts showing you something, you know, you have to be able to say, all right, we're running the football here because it is working and we're running it with him and not go, you know, few carries, a few snaps here, a few snaps here, a few snaps here. Okay, back to this guy, back to this guy, that, that, that. Just let yourselves, let one guy win this job. Let one guy have this job. I think there's so much of the mindset of compete in everything that you do, and I don't disagree with that. But I think the competition needs to stop on Saturdays. And you can let there be a competition in practice, in film, in everything, Sunday to Friday. But once the game starts, you need to have the courage of your convictions to say one guy is our running back and we're going to roll with him. Maybe it's Kayvon Lee. Maybe it's Noah Kane. Maybe it's Nick Singleton. Maybe it's Katron Allen. Maybe Keziah is your stat. Whatever it is, run one guy. Because I think that might, like, I just, the run, the run blocking wasn't particularly great. I have to imagine that a reason why, a potential reason why it wasn't great was they were just constantly changing who is back there. And no guy was able to get into a rhythm either on the offensive line or in the backfield. But, you know, fingers crossed I'm just being an idiot there. I I sincerely hope I am. Let's hand out some game balls, one on offense, one on defense. Matt, where are you going? Uh, Defense will be first because it's a shame I haven't mentioned him yet. Jesse Lucetta, man, what a game. Mm -hmm. He has been such a great leader for this program. And his desire, like he didn't add anything to his tape by playing in this game. And look, I'm not trying to shame anybody who didn't play in a bowl game. Absolutely do not play in a bowl game if you do not want to. But Lucetta just seems to really enjoy playing football at Penn State. Like he, I think he knows he's probably not a Mike at the next level. He's like a weird hybrid edge guy. So good for him going out there and playing a really good game. So so game ball to Jesse Lucetta. On the offense, I'm going to give it to Olu Fashanu. Left tackle was hard, especially against an SEC foe. And for him to go out there in his first real extended action and play pretty well. Like, obviously, there are going to be growing pains, but that's a great springboard. And, and I think that really answers the left tackle question heading into the offseason. Like, you know, I know it's a lot to put that crown on his head after a single game, but 
still, like, the fact that they felt he was the best guy and felt Tangwell could go at guard really answers that question for me, uh, unless there's a portal guy. So good on him, good on Phil Troutwine. That is one less thing for him to probably figure out, and then he can just spend the rest of the time figuring out uh, the next four spots. Yeah, I mean, offensively, I was going to go with Parker Washington for basically what you mentioned uh, I, and what we've mentioned and how just like that guy looks like he's ready to uh, step into Jahan Dotson's shoes. But I, as you were talking, I'm going to just say a special shout out to the left side of the offensive line. Uh, so so Fashanu and Tangwall when they were the guys. Um, I think that... The, What I want Penn State to focus on is I want them, and and this is depending uh, on whether or not the Cornell transfer, uh, Hunter Norzad, who listed Penn State in his top five along with Virginia Tech, Auburn, Iowa, and Illinois, uh, depending on whether or not he comes, I want Penn State to figure out where every guy is playing on the offensive line first day of camp. I just want Penn State to get their guys all sorted out and let them get every single rep at those positions uh, and grow and develop and learn and do that sort of thing. And I think that with Fashanu and Tangwall, they have a potentially nice left side. I know there's some talk of maybe Tangwall can be uh, a tackle, uh, but I want to see him stick at guard. I think his just like physicality and nastiness works really well in that position. Uh, And then the other side of the football, uh, you mentioned Luketa. He absolutely deserves some, his flowers. Like I'm, I, I'm gonna miss that guy. Which, you know, I, I, it wasn't that I disliked him during the season. I stretched the imagination. I just never thought we'd get to a point where we're going, man, they're really gonna miss Jesse Luketta, a defensive end next season. But uh, I'm gonna give it to Smith Filbert. I mean, I think that for him to be dropped into that game against a quarterback whose best traits are his mobility and his physicality, and KJ Jefferson, six three. 245, really just like not the kind of guy you can really simulate going up against. And he was able to get there and take him down three times. I think that was a really impressive performance by a young man who, you know, has some explosiveness, has some twitch, has some, uh, you know, has that going for him. So I want to, uh, I want to see a little, I want to see more of him heading into uh, next season. Um, Let's talk about the off season. I mean, we'll do, Full off-season podcasts, probably in the coming weeks, where we talk about the offense in depth, the defense in depth, special teams in depth, any other things in depth. But I think that it might not have come off this way because uh, we did feel sound pretty doomery, Matt. I don't feel terrible entering the off-season. I have big questions that need to be answered. But I feel like there is, like, this year and last year are the floor for Penn State. I think that is the case. And I think when you have a floor, you build towards a ceiling. And I don't know what that ceiling is. I don't think Penn State's going to be a, a Big Ten champion next year or anything like that. But I think heading into this offseason, it's an offseason where if they can just sort out a couple of things, they'll be fine. My issue is the things they need to sort out are pretty big things. And I, you, you know, it's going to be really important that they get them all sorted out as soon as possible. So where do you sit on how, just how you feel entering this offseason? I feel like this offseason is a multiple choice test. Uh, every right answer is on the page, but now the coaching staff has to identify the right one. 
So there's, you know, questions all over the place, but there's options. Like there's legitimately what I think are right answers all over the place. I think there's a right combination along the offensive line. I think there's a right running back. I think there's a right quarterback. So it's always exciting when that, you know, I don't feel like the thing holding Penn State back is is unattainable to be fixed. So that's good. But I the coaching staff has shown me this season that they can fail to identify the proper answer. So uh, that is my reason for concern. I'm not I'm never doom and gloom in an off season because that's the time for optimism. And I'm just an optimistic guy by nature. So I'm feeling pretty good. You know, not as great as I was heading into like 2020. But then, you know, the pandemic happened. So we're still dealing with that. It's just fun. So uh, overall, I think I'm about average for what I expect. I think they can have a big bounce back year. Do I think it's going to be like the Michigan thing where they go five and four and then go to the playoff? Probably not. But I think 10 wins is a realistic expectation. I don't know. I'm not sold on this idea that this team is heading into a rebuilding year because this should have been the rebuilding year. And last year should have been a rebuilding year. You can't have three in a row because then it becomes a trend. So I think 10 wins should be the expectation. Yeah, I mean, the entire thing is that, and this kind of gets into our next thing, which is the biggest thing this team needs. I think James Franklin, I think Mike Yurcich, I think Manny Diaz, I think the position coaches, I think the, um, I, I think all the players need to be willing to have very hard conversations with themselves about what every individual piece of this machine does. And that means every player, that means every coach, that means every approach to things. Like, if Penn State's rushing attack next season is literally, you have an inside zone rushing play, you have an outside zone rushing play, and that is it, that's it. Like, there is no need to oversimplify, to overdo things. But you have to be able to look at the rushing game. You have to be able to look at the running backs you have through. You have to be able to look at the offensive linemen. You need to be able to look at the quarterback and say, you know, can we throw some RPO in this? Can we throw some quarterback run in it? Whatever. And just say, here's what we think we can do. Here's what we think we can't do. We're just scrapping the stuff we can't do altogether and focusing entirely on what we can do. We have to look at what is every coach's role in game day. What is James Franklin doing? On game day, well, what is he doing poorly? Mike Yurcich, same thing. Position coach, same thing. Manny Diaz, same thing. Every player, you have to look at the skill sets of everybody. Like, you have to be willing to do a straight-up full audit of what Penn State football is. Because outside of the fact that Brent Pry is gone, and, and you know, Manny Diaz is going to bring some changes there, but, you know, but for all intents and purposes, they have similar philosophies. Joe Warg is now going to be gone on special teams. Uh, you know, listen, I don't mean to dislike him, but whatever. He's out there. They'll get somebody new in. You need to be willing to look at every single thing and say, what is the best approach here? And if you're not willing to do that, then I'm sorry. You do not deserve to be a program that ha- ever has an aspiration of competing for a Big Ten championship, of ever has aspirations of making it to the college football playoff. If you are placing comfort over making yourself uncomfortable in such a way that you learn from that discomfort and become better, then I'm sorry, you're just not a serious football program. So that's what the answer to that is for me. To you, Matt, what is the biggest thing that this team needs during the offseason? Uh, new eyes. New eyes in the program. I think Manny Diaz is going to be great for that. 
Uh, and I think whoever replaces Joe Lorig on the defensive staff slash special team staff is going to be important for that. Like the offense at this point, you, you brought in the guy to shake it up. That's what Yersic was there for. And now I think they can really benefit from a new, fresh set of eyes to really show them what they're doing wrong. And again, change is good in college football. So I think this could really benefit this offense and this team as a whole moving forward. Yeah, I, I, I certainly don't disagree on that. And then, you know, a pretty um, a, a big loss that happened as a, uh, you know, it kind of went under the radar. Uh, Michael Hazel, the senior director of football operations, you know, someone who has a very important behind the scenes role with the program uh, is moving on. He's going to be joining Brent Pride down in Purdue. And like, I don't mean this as a slight to Michael Hazel at all, like for all intents and purposes, very, very good at his job. But like, I think getting as many people who, like you mentioned, can look at this program and look at aspects of this program in ways that, you know, you might not be able to if you're someone who's been around the program for too terribly long is inherently a good thing uh, because you just need to be willing to shake things up. You need to be willing to say, you know, having this be our priority for however long might not necessarily be the best thing. So I'm some level of cautious optimism about that, even if uh, things didn't necessarily go great to end this season. Uh, Matt, you have a meatloaf you need to get out of the oven. So are there any final thoughts you want to put into uh, this episode of the pod before I do the little wrap up? Penn State basketball. Penn State basketball beat the Indiana Hoosiers yesterday. Hell of a game. I was actually uh, I was on press row at a Cavs game for a 9-5 to five thing, just watching the game. And, like, it took everything in me not to just scream on the floor, hey, Lamar, get up here. We have a, we, you know, we have a thing we need to talk about. Actually, I, you know, I joked about this, but the game ended uh, during the first quarter of the Cavs game. And the Lamar team goes into the locker room and comes out. And Lamar had a, uh, had a really nice game for the Cavs. So my... Uh, you know, was just joking around with some friends and saying, hey, you know what? Lamar went into the locker room, found out they won, and then, uh, you know, had that little extra pep in his step. So, yeah, Penn State basketball, uh, the thing that makes us proud. Uh, I hope someone gives Micah Shrewsbury some sort of lozenge because that dude's voice was shot. Um, yeah, I, I think that's it for this episode of the podcast. As always, thank you very much for listening. Make sure you're subscribing wherever you go and get your podcast. Use Apple Podcasts. Please go and leave us a five-star review. Keep reading and supporting the site. Best way to do that. Make sure you are buying some t-shirts and make sure you're following us on all of our social media platforms. One last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Royal Lions Radio. For Matt Filipovitz, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Penn State plays in Evanston on Wednesday, and I'm not going. It's the angriest I've ever been.